0: Alright, good morning and welcome. We're going to look this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to, if you have a Bible and want to follow, or you can follow on on the screen as we read from verses uh, 18 through 24. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words were, words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. Even if even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, as We look at this passage um, it's, a, it's It is a, essentially a comparison oh man, are we going to be okay with this mic? <laughs> Check one, two, three okay <laughs> um, it 's essentially a comparison of uh, the old and the new covenant, and i 'll explain uh, how that is, and we 'll kind of unpack that, um, but to start off, just thinking a little bit about how. Uh, for us, um, especially a lot of us uh, living as, as foreigners in Thailand, um, where do you call home? I mean, maybe some of you even are MKs who, you know, it's a very complicated question. Um, where do you call home? I don't know about you, but uh, as you live longer in Thailand, maybe there's parts of Thailand that start to feel more and more like home. Um, and certainly the longer I live here, uh, much about Thailand feels home to me, but um as home here grows more, um, I find that home, as in where I came from, also, I, I miss it more and more. There's a lot of things about my home country and my home place that I, I miss and I long for. Uh, and of course, it's not just the the place, it's, it's all the, what it means for home to be home, uh, like what I miss, uh, uh, we don't own a house in, the, in in America, our home country. So it's not like I miss uh, the place, but I miss the relationships of of my family that make home what home is. Um, and and so, what is it that makes? What is it? What do we mean by this idea of home? What is home? Well, I, th- I think it means a, a lot of things. It means a place where you belong, right? Where people have to welcome you because they're stuck with you, <laughs> right? It's like they can't say, no, I don't want to be friends with you anymore. You can't disown family, right? It's, it's home is a place where they, they welcome you, they accept you, they know who you are, they know your faults and, and, and your flaws, but they still love and accept you. And, uh, and you belong there. And it's a place where we do joyfully celebrate each other, and we celebrate birthdays at home, and we celebrate holidays like Christmas or Thanksgiving, or we gather And and there's something uh, in those gatherings and in the the spirit of home that I think we all long for. And I find myself having multiple homes now that when I'm here, I long for home there. When I'm there, I long for home here. And it's uh, it's just kind of the way it is. And the truth is that uh, the longing that we long for is ultimately put there by God for his home. And it may be that for you, uh, growing up was not a pleasant experience, and so you don't have happy memories of home. Maybe you never felt very loved or cared for at home. But all of us still have a longing for a home place. And it really is uh, something God has put in us, and it's a longing that we we want to be in a place where we know we belong, we know we are loved and accepted, and we can be who we are without having to pretend and where we are joyfully celebrated. And that's really what this passage is, is, is much about. It's, I titled the message, um, uh, the title, uh, uh, The Place We Call Home. Uh, and I think, God, uh, we, we might be surprised, and I hope we're surprised we unpack this, uh, how much of that home is available to us. Um, and the context of this, kind of the background, okay, I can't take this anymore. <laughs> Is saying to us, so we commit this time to you now in Jesus' precious name, Amen. A little bit of the background: the author of uh, Hebrews is writing to a people who were really confused about what their home was, and they were actually wanting to go back. Uh, they had been they come to Christ, they come to faith in Jesus, but many of them, because of the persecution and difficulties they were facing, were being uh, challenged. Uh, or tempted to go back to Judaism, to go back to the old covenant. And so he's comparing here in this two very clear, vivid pictures of the two covenants, the old under Moses and the new under Jesus. And so he, he starts by, by reminding them where they did not come to. He says, you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire a, and darkness and gloom and a tempest. Uh, he's speaking here about a picture or the scene at Mount Sinai, uh, when the people gathered after they had left Egypt, and they came to Mount Sinai, and there God met them. Right? They came into God's presence, and God met them, and He revealed Himself to them in a very real and dramatic way. And He says that the mountain was a place they could touch, and most of their experience as God revealed him to, Himself to them on the mountain was was was. Tangible, right they could see God or they could at least see something of his glory. They didn't actually see God, but they came really close and they could hear His voice and uh, they could they could touch the mountain. Uh, but the interesting thing in all of this is that even though it was very tangible and real and physical, um Hello hello hello. okay. Uh, it wasn't. It was not comforting or inviting, but there's nothing about it that made it feel like like this is home, right? And notice the images he uses. He says, uh, "You come to uh, sure a place that could be touched, but it was a blazing fire, right? In fact, he gives four images here: a blazing fire, a darkness, gloom, and a tempest. And these are really all pictures of of the uh, of, of the God who is inaccessible." Right? The God who is very difficult to approach. And think about these images. Now, it's true that a fire, if you're talking about a, a little campfire or a little cozy fire on the hearth of your cabin in the middle of winter, is very inviting. And you draw close to you and you gain warmth. But that's not the image here. Right? This is not a little campfire or fire on your hearth in your cabin. It says it's a blazing fire, a torching inferno. Uh, back when I was much younger, I fought forest fires and uh they were nothing to be messed with and and you didn't draw near to this blazing inferno to warm up in fact it was scorching heat it would it would melt cars right it's a kind of fire he's describing here it's a fire that you don't draw to you run from and he goes on he has other images he talks about darkness uh you you came to to a fire and to to darkness um, and it's interesting i love we sang a, a, a song this morning about uh god being light and the darkness can 't really conceal him, so the, so the question is is God light or is he dark It's so confusing what's it talking about here? Well, the truth is God is light, and he exists in in uh, brilliant light his His glory and his holiness is pictured as a a brilliant light like the sun, uh, but much like the sun, if you get too close to to you it's a it's a light that will blind you in fact uh, the holiness of God is, is a light so so powerful that it would actually destroy you. And so to protect us, uh, there's many uh, images or pictures of God in the Old Testament veiling his, his brilliance, veiling the, the, the light of his glory in darkness. Uh, not to protect him, but to protect us. Uh, like putting on sunglasses so that we're not blinded by his light. And that's how he came on the mountain. He came in darkness and gloom. And a cloud descended on, on the mountain, and, and God was enshrouded in this cloud, this dark, gloomy uh, cloud. Uh, and again, it's this picture that uh, God is inaccessible, right? You just don't walk up to Him, you can't see Him, you can't look on Him, even though He was that close, and even though they were uh, physically present with God's presence with them, it was still shrouded in darkness and, and gloom. And finally, uh, it, there, there was a tempest. A raging storm was blowing. All right, so this is not, this is not the picture of something warm and inviting. Right? All right, this is, this is a picture of the God who is, in many respects, inaccessible because of His holiness. Uh, the people, as they drew into God's presence and began to experience something of, experience something of this incredibly holy God, they were made painfully aware of their own sinfulness and fallenness and unworthiness to stand before such holiness. And that's the that's the problem we have with God. God is an infinitely holy being and He created us to, to be with Him. But sin has wrecked that. And it's made us unworthy and unfit to be in His presence. And as, as such, the people of Israel experienced and felt this distance, this separation between them and god their unworthiness and so uh, they were terrified uh, but there's more it says so there's uh, th- th- there's also a voice that comes with it um, and the voice uh, uh, comes with a trumpet verse 19 and the sound there came the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them and what was the message? It says, For they could not endure the order that was given, that even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Um, the the, the voice is first announced with a trumpet. Uh, and in, in, in ancient times, a trumpet was a warning blast uh, that either an enemy was coming or they needed to prepare for battle, that there was some kind of an emergency. So we might equate it more to our day and age to a warning siren. Um, if you've lived in places where uh, there's, a, there's a fire alarm that goes off, um, how calming is that? Have you ever been at school, the fire alarm goes off, and what do you do? Everybody jumps in their seat, right? Because it's startling, it's, it's alarming. There's something that's anxiety-producing about this kind of alarm. And that would have been the effect of this trumpet blast. Uh, and it was a divine trumpet blast. It was probably loud. It may have sh- sh- shook the ground. So there's nothing calming about this. This is not somebody playing a, a lovely melody on a trumpet. This is, this is a warning siren. And then it is followed by something even more terrible as God Himself speaks to them. And the people, it says, were so terrified, so awestricken by the wonder of God's voice that they begged God not to speak directly to them. It was too much. And, and what is in the content of His message, what is in the content of His voice, is is simply this danger? Keep away! Right? It says, "Don't get close to the mountain. Don't touch the mountain. Uh, it's it's dangerous. Even an animal that's allowed to come to the mountain and touches it will 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 die. Right? It must be stone. Must be put to death. And so uh, it's kind of like if you've ever seen you know dangerous places are big huge signs that say danger. Keep out." I remember when I lived, uh, was going to Bible school. I lived in Montana, right in the middle of the Minuteman missile range. Does anybody know what Minuteman missile range is? A couple of you who are old, it's a, it's a, it's a grid of nuclear warheads. And there's hundreds of them, hundreds of them, all over Montana and North Dakota. And about every mile on a grid, there is one of these silos, and they were all fenced off. And there weren't signs that, like, you know, put missile here, right? But everybody knew what they were. It was pretty obvious. And if you got close to when there were there were big signs that said, danger, keep out. And the danger was twofold. One, if you went in there, and it, and it just happened to be the moment when they pushed the button and launched the missiles to go attack Russia, you would be riding a ballistic missile somewhere to be vaporized. Um, that could be a problem, a little bit of risk there. But, of course, the, the odds of that happening were pretty slim. But the other risk was that uh, because it was a nuclear live nuclear warhead on a rocket underground, they really didn't want people like messing around with it. You know, like, uh, they wanted people out of there. And so if you were stupid enough to, to ignore the danger warning signs and crawl over the fence, uh, you would get shot, right, or arrested or you go to the jail for the rest of your life because, uh, it was serious stuff, right? It was danger. It was dangerous. There was risk. Well, that's what God is saying here. And the point here is not that God is worried that they will somehow damage Him. Right, that somehow his holiness will be corrupted if sinners get too close. Okay, God is pretty much, I would say, indestructible. Right, uh, God is not threatened by sinful people, and uh, it's it's no danger to him. The danger was to the people. Right, the danger was to coming into the presence of a holy God, that that he would be a consuming fire, and his holiness would devour them. So his warning was, danger, keep away. best part of all of this whole scene is uh, the point of all this is God assembles them to make a covenant with them. Okay, This is a covenant-making uh, gathering where God on his side gathers the people and he's going to make a covenant of relationship with them that he wants to be their God. And, and the, the humor in all this is that God wants to make a covenant so that he can live in the midst of them. Now, This is starting to look like not really such a good idea, right? Um, If this is who God is, do we really want him in our neighborhood? Well, God wanted to live with them. He wanted to be in the midst of them. But to do that, it required a mediator. And so the people acknowledged and said, Don't talk to us. We can't bear it. Talk to Moses. Let him be our representative, our mediator. And at the same time, God understood that that there needed to be a mediator and there needed to be a lot of stuff put in place. And so it says that, um, that Moses was that mediator. But, but notice what it says about Moses. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses, the mediator, uh, said, I tremble with fear. Right. So, so Moses himself was, was supposed to be mediating this, this agreement, but he himself was terrified at the sight of it all. The presence of God and the problem is that he was just like the rest of Israel he was really a, a sinner just like them who had no more business in the whole, before the holy God than they did he was no more worthy than any of them and so he understood the frailty of his place standing before the holy and living God um, and the author says this is not the home you were called to Hey, praise God, right? Because this does, does not sound like home, right? Is this the kind of place you want to call home? Fire and darkness and tempest and a voice that is so terrifying, people dread it. Well, of course not, right? That's not not home. And, and there's a lot more to Exodus and a lot more uh, that we could talk about that, that God's intention in all of this was loving and good. And it was just hard to live close to His people to be their God and to be in the midst of them. But it was complicated because of sin. And even as the Old Testament goes on and progresses, we see that God remains a God who is primarily inaccessible. And even when they did build the tent, the tabernacle, in the midst of their camp, and later the temple in the midst of Jerusalem, it was a place that was primarily off-limits. Like you could get kind of close, but you could not draw into the presence of God. His, his presence was inaccessible to everybody. He was Unapproachable. Uh, You could pray to him, and he promised to hear their prayers towards the temple because he cared for them and he loved them. But this was not a place where they would 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 be at home in the presence of God. But he says, "Praise God! That is not where you and I, as as followers of Jesus, live. Right? That is not the situation that characterizes the New Covenant." In fact, he gives a very different picture. But he says, "But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the Living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and on and on. We'll get we'll get there. You have come to a different place, and the first thing that we and we'll see that we have come to a place that we can call home." that is characterized by all those things that we long for uh, that we talked about. Uh, first of all, he says, he says, you have come. And it's very important that we notice here, and I know most of us are not like uh, all, that, all that keen on grammar, and I, I personally hated grammar and failed it in, in grade school. Uh, but grammar is important. And grammar here, the, this tense of this verb is extremely important. Notice that it does not say, you will one day come to a heavenly city. Right? It's not, it does not say that. It's not a future event. He says, you have already come to the heavenly city. Right? This is a lot of what, what the book of Hebrews is about, is that one word. You have come. It's one word in Greek. Three words in English. You have come. You are already there. And in fact, the word, verb tense, if you know Greek at all, it's, it's a perfect tense verb, which means it's a past action already finished and completed with ongoing, continuing results. And the truth is that you have already come home to the heavenly city, to Jerusalem, to Zion. Right, And oftentimes we read this, and as I studied this, I I was reading through this, and I'm picturing, oh yeah, someday I'm going to get to go to this place. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying that you are already here. You are already home. And this describes... Your situation already. It's a past completed event if you are in Christ. And where exactly is this place? Well, Zion uh, was, was a mountain on which the temple was built in Jerusalem. And it came to be known uh, metaphorically as the place where God, God dwelled and God lived. And so it came to be known as really the heavenly mountain, the heavenly dwelling place of God. It's also described as the, the city of God, the city of the living God. In other words, again, the place where he lives, the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, it is, first and foremost, the place that God lives. So the home that we are invited to join in is the home that God himself dwells in. The place where he lives. Right? That is now our home. And, and for some of us, this just kind of messes with our head and our brain. Because for so long we've been told that heaven is completely and exclusively something future. And we look around us and we go, yeah, pretty much, I don't think this is heaven, right? And we, we misunderstand what heaven is. And our problem is twofold. One, we think and we imagine that heaven is a place. Uh, and in our very concrete thinking, we, we we picture the world and our solar system and galaxy and the universe, Right? And that somehow, somewhere when you get to the edge of the universe, there's like a fence, a gate or something where the universe runs out and then there's like heaven begins, right? And so someday we are going, we, we picture, we talk about, when we die, I'm going to go to heaven. And somebody's going to come grab us and they're going to take us on a very long train ride to the edge of the universe and drop us at the door of heaven, this place. Right? But that's actually misunderstanding what heaven is. Now heaven is a real place, but it is not a real place that exists somewhere past or beyond the boundary of this universe. Okay? Second problem is we think of heaven exclusively in future terms. That heaven is something we can participate in and be part of only when we die. Uh, but to do that is to misunderstand completely what heaven is. And the authors made it very clear as he's been explaining uh, what we have in Christ that heaven is actually not about a place or a future event. What distinguishes heaven primarily is that it is invisible. Right? It is unseen. That's why he talks about in chapter 11 verse 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? The conviction that there is a heavenly reality, and that heavenly reality is not at the edge of the universe. That heavenly reality is here. Right? We are, you and I, right now, if you are in Christ, you are residents of heaven. You are there already. But it's an unseen realm, right? It's, it's all around us, but it's unseen. That's what distinguishes it. Uh, now, uh, when you die, you will experience heaven in a much different way. But the reality is, when you die, it's not because you go to heaven. The problem is that you leave earth, right? Right now, we live in two realms. We live in the physical world realm, where we can touch and taste and feel everything. And... If you're in Christ, you are part of the immaterial spiritual realm called heaven that is every bit all around us, near, and of which we are residents right now in the city of the living God. When we die, uh, we lose our residence here, but nothing changes about our residence in heaven, except as we'll see, we go there uh, temporarily without a body, right? And we live there as a spirit. Um, so, so that's his first point: is you are now. Residents, members of uh, God's heavenly city, and and uh, and not only that, but you 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 belong there. Oh, let me oh, let me skip. I'm jumping ahead. You are in this heavenly city, and and this heavenly city is described as being a place where there are innumerable angels gathered in in, in festival celebration. The word festival gathering is a word that means celebrating a festival together. A holiday. Uh, right now as we worship, and I, I thought about this this morning as we were worshiping, we, we are currently in the presence and joined together with the angels who are partying big time. Big time, right? And what is it they are celebrating? Well, what they are celebrating is, is our redemption through Jesus. Right? They have anticipated what Jesus would do to bring about his work of salvation in our lives for centuries. And now that it's happened, they cannot stop celebrating. And so when we worship, when we sing together, uh, the angels in heaven are singing how great thou art with us. Only they do, it, I think, a lot more passion than we do sometimes, right? Because they are celebrating all out, you and I and our sal- salvation in Christ. They are worshiping the Lamb who gave Himself for us. And they stand in awe of what God has done to bring about this work of redeeming lost people and restoring broken lives to his plan. They are partying and they are rejoicing and they are celebrating. Right? This is a place of, of happiness and joy uh, over you and me and, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, but it's also a place where we belong. Where we absolutely belong. It says that we also come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What is the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven? Sounds very official. Well, actually, you and I are the assembly of the firstborn. Assembly is the, the word we get the word church from. And it means the gathering together of God's people. And it's talking about the church. We come to not only this heavenly gathering, but this heavenly gathering is made up of the body of Christ, the people of God redeemed and saved. And he says that specifically they are, they are the firstborn. One of the great works of Christ is that he has made us sons, and not just sons, but firstborn sons of God. Now, those of you who are girls, I know I say this often, if you're female, don't be offended at this. Okay, God's not telling you you have to be a boy. But what he's saying is that you have the rights of an heir. That's what being a firstborn son is about. You inherit the estate, right? So that means that the city of God, Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, everything that belongs to God, is your and my inheritance. And we have a right to be there as firstborn sons right like i said a family is a place where they can't get rid of you right they're stuck with you like it or not and that's how we are with god we are firstborn sons he is stuck with us because he's made us his children and we are in that city we are we 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 are in his presence by right as a firstborn son we have the right to be there we belong but only do we belong because we're firstborn sons but we also belong because we have been enrolled in the registry of heaven of the heavenly Jerusalem in ancient times, uh, they would keep records for a lot of reasons, partly because you had to pay taxes, but uh, for other reasons of the the official citizens of a city, and you would go and they would record your name, and it was record that you were a resident citizen of that place we our name has been enrolled, registered in the books of heaven in the New Jerusalem. And again, it's a perfect tense verb, which means, uh, it's been done past tense with ongoing, uh, relevance. Right? We can't, we can't change our status and standing as rightful citizens of heaven. We belong there. Right? We belong. Uh, many of us who live in, in Thailand or in other countries as aliens are quite often reminded that we do not belong. Right? Every 90 days, if you're in Thailand, every 90 days we get to go be reminded that we do not belong. As we have to go check in and and we have to remind ourselves, yeah, you don't belong here. Right? Um, it's not the way it is with heaven. We belong. It is a place where you are welcomed and received and accepted as a child who belongs there. Right? Maybe you've struggled your whole life feeling like you are outside, you don't fit, you don't belong. You're home, right? You are home in God's presence where you belong. And you are loved and accepted uh, there as a place that's yours. Right? Um, and, and 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 you are welcomed and accepted as a place that's yours, no matter how messed up you are. You're not there and loved and accepted because you fit the mold or because you fit God's expectations or because you are good enough. No, you are like family. You're accepted and loved in spite of who you are. right? In spite of who we are, we are messed up people and we are welcomed anyway through the blood of Jesus. so, 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 it's a place where we belong and it's also a place where we can, we are free to be ourselves. Okay, I love, I love at home, you know, I come to church, I kind of dress up and I, I pretend like I am dignified, right? At home, I just get to be myself. But there's nothing very dignified about myself at home, right? I, I, I wear kind of comfortable clothes and, you know, you take off the mask and at home you're the real you. And, and the, the the truth is that I can't be otherwise because I can't lie to my family. They know me too well. But sometimes I can pretend to be important to other people. And people, well, wow, Pastor Tim, he must be, you know, well, it's just it's, it's just all fake, right? If you knew the real me, like the, my family does, just, just not that special, right? But that's okay because I can be who I really am. Well, uh, it says we get to be that way with God in heaven. Uh, notice verse um, twenty-three, middle of the verse says we are enrolled, firstborn of heaven, uh, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the Judge of all. And you might think, well, I don't. This is this does not sound like some a place I could really be myself if I have to come before the Judge. And it is true that God is Judge. Uh, maybe a better translation is we come to the Judge. Uh, God, who is God over all. How is it we can come before the judge and be ourself? Well, this is the amazing, wonderful truth of the good news of the gospel, is that God judges all humanity. He will judge every human being. But we stand before God through the mediator, Jesus Christ. And when he judges us, he judges us on the basis of what Jesus did, not on the basis of what I have done. Right? We stand before God and our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus. And so we stand before the judge with no condemnation. Right? No condemnation. What this means is that there is an incredible freedom for us to be ourselves. Uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, were they free to be themselves? walk around naked before God and say, Hey God, here I am. That's not what they did, right? They covered themselves. They put on clothes and masks to hide who they really were. They ran and hid in the bushes. And when God found them, they lied. And they blamed others. Why? Because they were not free to be themselves because they knew they were broken, sinful people. The good news is through the blood of Jesus, we're covered in His righteousness. And we stand before God without condemnation. And we don't need to lie anymore. Right? We can be brutally honest with God about who I am. I am a sinner. I mess up. I am weak. I fail. And that's okay. Because God accepts us just the way we are. Right? Because we're home. And we, we live with the judge where there is no, no guilt or condemnation. Um, but right it's always a but right but uh, we, we come to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect okay here's the deal home is a place where people they're stuck with you they love and accept you the way they are they know the real you but nobody's okay with you staying that way right uh, we don't we, we we put up with our faults we put up with our flaws but we as a family at home are not okay with people staying messed up. That's what he talked about at the first of this chapter 12. He says a, a loving father disciplines his children. Right? He's not okay with them. He accepts them the way they are. But it's not okay for them to stay that way. They need to change. Right? And he says we come to the spirits of those made perfect. And here he probably is talking about those who have died and gone on ahead and they've experienced the full perfecting work of Jesus' salvation. right? The flesh and all of its weakness and sin and brokenness has been completely stripped away and they now stand in God's presence perfected, completed, made exactly the way God intended us to be from the beginning. and that's the work of the gospel. The gospel, the work of Jesus, is not only to save and cleanse us and make us pure and right before God, but it is transforming. God is is working to crucify in us the deeds of the flesh and put away the wickedness of our own life and make us new creatures in Christ, right, so that we can be perfected. And that's a lifelong process that will not be accomplished until we leave this world and, and this flesh is destroyed. And we are with God in spirit as perfected beings, awaiting the resurrection when we get new bodies that will be sin proof. Right? There will be new creatures in Christ. All right. Finally, he says, we come to Jesus, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Unlike Moses, uh, Jesus was a perfect mediator who was worthy to come before God and negotiate a new covenant on our behalf. And he made this new covenant, this new agreement with God where we would be forgiven, we would be made pure and righteous, we would be accepted as children on the basis of God's grace, not on the works that we have done. And that covenant was, was signed and sealed, it says, by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. Just like Moses, Moses sealed the covenant at Sinai by taking the blood of a ram and sprinkling it. Well, this covenant has been guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. And the author has put really the best news last. Right? He puts this as a grand climax because it's the most important. But it's actually prior to everything else. Everything else is made possible because Jesus' death and blood has made it possible as he's made this covenant through his own blood and life. Right, so that we, uh, we have a right to the heavenly city. We have the right, we have something to celebrate and it's a place where we can belong because Jesus, uh, and His work of redemption has made us sons of God, children who have a right to be heirs of the kingdom. It's the place where we belong, where we stand boldly with no condemnation and where the work of the cross is perfecting us to be like him. Uh, finally, it says it speaks a better word than, than the, uh, the, the blood of Abel. Uh, his blood is infinitely more effective than any sacrifice, and even that of Abel, who was also killed at the hands of his brother who were jealous and hated him, like Jesus. Um, but, Abel's blood only cried for injustice. Jesus' blood cries out, there is justice because I have paid the full penalty for sin. Do do we really know where we live? Do we really know? The, The concern of the writer of Hebrews is this, that too many Christians... Live either at home in this world, which is the worst, or, uh, don't feel at home in this world, but they found themselves at home under the old covenant. Where do you live, right? Uh, the first danger is to be way too comfortable and way too at home in this world. Right? We ought to be like residents and aliens who, who have to do a 90 day check-in, right? Who know that we don't belong here, this is not our home, and we're not part of the world system. Uh, and most of us get that. We know that. We, we may still find ourselves liking the world way too much, but at least we know that that's you know, a problem. The second thing, though, is much more subtle and dangerous. And that's the fall into the old covenant of religion that misunderstands the nature and character of God and who he is. The reality is that for most of my life, I envision and my picture of God is is the God of, of Sinai Uh in darkness and, and raging fire and holiness. And granted, we should have a view of God as holy. Uh, if you don't have that view of God, uh, maybe we are too much in the world. We should have a view of God who is awesome in holy in holiness. Um, but uh but that's not the covenant we're under, right? God is a holy God, but the problem of sin, the thing that separated us, the thing that made God inaccessible, and that prevented us from approaching Him, has been dealt with in Jesus, and we are now residents of Zion, not Sinai. Um, so, so why do we get confused? Why is it we're so drawn to Mount Sinai? It's not a place we want to call home, right? Why do we spend so much time there? Why are we so drawn and attracted to it? Well, there's probably a lot of reasons. Let me just highlight three real quickly. First, is that we haven't really paid close enough attention to what Jesus has accomplished through his death. And that's what he's talked about a lot in the book of Hebrews. He says, look, you're immature. You're you're not understanding. You haven't grown into understanding what Jesus has opened up for you, full access into God's presence. And so you're living outside the temple, outside the court at a distance because you're not paying attention to what I've been saying. We need to pay attention. And a lot of people are oblivious to the fact that they're residents of of a heavenly Jerusalem, that they are members of uh, joined with the the angels singing and worshiping God uh, because they're they're not paying attention. They're not taking seriously... All that Scripture teaches about the work of Christ and what it's done for us to bring us to a place where we live life continually, daily, moment by moment, in the very presence of God. Instead, we, we, we vision God like Sinai, as distant and far away and removed from our life, that we pray to, but we have to pray to with a megaphone because He's so far away. And we never hear His voice because we don't want to. Uh, we're oblivious to the fact that God is speaking to us and he wants to communicate himself to us. He wants to do life with us. That's what Jesus has accomplished. And that's the covenant we live in. Second problem is that we spend way too much time listening to the liar. Uh, what Satan did to throw Adam and Eve off in the garden is he, he lied to them about the character and nature of God. He said, is God really that way? God wants to kill you. If you eat the fruit, God wants to kill you. Look at how evil and angry this God is. Like how many of us, really, if we're honest, like we know theologically God is loving and good and gracious and we use all these words, but honestly in our heart of hearts, we see God still as an angry father who's sitting up on on Mount Sinai waiting to just smack us. Waiting, just just you just get too close. You just touch that mountain and you just see what happens, right? At a feeling level... Is that how we encounter God? Right? We've listened to Satan, the liar who's been whispering in our ears, God does not love you. Right? God's a God's a God's a holy God. Don't forget that. Right? Don't get too close or he will zap you. Third issue is that we are not trusting the goodness of God. Right? We we don't have faith to see the unseen as he talks about in in, in Hebrews 11.1. And in Hebrews 11.6, that that God exists, and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That God wants to give us his love and goodness and grace. That God delights in blessing us. That he sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could come into his home and live there, and that he could come and make his home in, in our hearts, that he is good and loving and kind. Right. That's the covenant we are now under. Uh, knowing where we live makes a huge difference in how we live. Right? Imagine a person who lived their whole life uh, uh, as a homeless person on the streets. And one day it turns out that they inherited a vast fortune and a, and a beautiful estate and somebody comes and tells them and they show them the paperwork, the deed, the will, and they say, look, you now are the possessor of this glorious mansion just down the street. But he doesn't believe it, right? Habit keeps him living on the street. And it affects the way he lives, right? He smells bad. He's hungry. He's probably not a very happy person. If he would only realize what belongs to him and enter into the estate that's waiting for him, the home that's waiting for him, how it would transform his life. How it would transform your life if you started living as residents of the holy city of which you are. Let's pray.